Uh, so if you're new here with us today, welcome. Uh, we are in week two of kind of a shorter uh, sermon series uh, about contentment, uh, Christmas series about contentment. Uh, last week, uh, we began by examining the true nature of Christian contentment. We need to know what it is, uh, how we understand it, and so that's, that's basically what we did. We came to the point of understanding that uh, in Christ, we have enough. We have everything that we could need, and from that, uh, our contentment can flow. Uh, I was reading a devotional, and Don and I sometimes in the morning read uh, this devotional from uh, Charles Spurgeon, and there was an entry that uh, was last week, and I thought, oh man, this, this actually does a good job of kind of uh, summarizing the nature of Christian contentment. So I'm going to read it for you, just to kind of remind us. Uh, he says this, God's smile and a dungeon are enough for a true heart. His frown and a palace would be held to a gracious spirit. Let the worst come to the worst, let all talents go, but we have not lost our treasure, for that is above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. So I like that imagery. We don't, you know, see a lot of dungeons these days, but it's still pretty evocative imagery. Uh, a dungeon is a place of darkness, a place of hopelessness, and what Charles Spurgeon is saying is that for a person in that situation, if they know the smile of God, if they know the favor of God, the blessing of God is upon them, then that is enough for them to be content. But if you were to experience all of the, the luxurious pleasures of this world and yet not have the favor of God, then you would have no reason for genuine contentment. That's essentially what we looked at last, last week. That the, the true nature of Christian contentment is in, is in Jesus. Uh, but as Don and I were talking a bit about this, uh, she said, you know, it's, it's true, but it's sometimes tough to see a smile in a dungeon. She hasn't been in a dungeon, but she, I know what she was saying. She's saying that in those uh, dark, difficult times of life, uh, we, can, we can know that we have the blessing of God, or we can, we can know that we're a Christian, we can know a lot of things sort of intellectually, but it's difficult to really experience it. That there are many dark situations of our life that are so dark and so hopeless that we forget the blessing that we have in God. That the radiance of the gospel even is diminished and, and we're kind of squinting to find any sense of, of hope. And that is the struggle of contentment. It's one thing to know what it is from a theological point of view. It's another thing to experience it. And, as, and if you're a Christian here this morning... Probably, if not today, at certain times in your life, you've, you've wanted a greater experience of contentment. You've wondered, maybe in light of last week, how, okay, that's what it is, but how do I actually do it? Like, how do I day in, day out, be the kind of person, a believer in Christ, who actually experiences, is, is content, is happy, is satisfied, regardless of what is going on in my life? Well, it's interesting to note uh, that Paul talks about contentment, not simply as a thing that you know, but as a, as a skill set, as a practice that you learn and that you grow in. Um, as Tim mentioned, we're going to be in Philippians today. Philippians chapter 4. So uh, you, you can turn there if you like. It'll be up on the screen. But I want to jump right into the middle and, and just here is how he describes. Look at how he describes uh, being content. He says this. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The language there is fascinating. 
I mean, he speaks about contentment uh, kind of like any other skill or art or trade. Uh, it could even be like a professional sport, right? There, there's these things in life that we don't just get good at because we know about them. You don't get good at playing the violin just by buying a violin and bringing it home. You need, you need someone to instruct you. And then you need to try it out. You need to make a lot of scratchy noises before it starts to get good. It's, it's a whole process of practicing the violin. And what Paul is saying is, is he's learned contentment. He's, he's acquired the skills to be content in all sorts of circumstances in his life. And so that's going to be our focus for today. Answering the question, how is it that we can um, adopt these skills? What lessons do we need to know so that we would actually experience content? We would be more content on a daily basis in a, in a practical way. So that's going to be our focus. And uh, there's three points they are going to kind of guide us. The first point is this. What we need to understand is that the gospel recalibrates our desires. Say that again. The gospel recalibrates our desires. And this is essential for contentment. Uh, the thing that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is um, something that we hear on the news all the time. Uh, you hear this phrase, supply chain disruption, right? Everywhere we go. It's a great excuse. Anytime you come back from the store and you forget something, you can just say, sorry, honey, it was supply chain disruption. They didn't have apples or whatever. Uh, it's, it, but it's part of daily life. And it's actually true. If you go to some of the stores, I was at um, London Drugs the other day, and there's a lot of empty shelves. It's hard to find. We were looking for deodorant. Hard to, I found some. But I'm just saying it's hard to find the kind uh, that we wanted because the supply chain has actually been disrupted. And it, and it kind of occurred to me that this is kind of a new thing for us uh, in, in Vancouver, in, the, in this area. Meaning we, we expect to be able to go to the store and look on any shelf and get the things that we want. Because pretty much for all of our lives, we have been able to do that. We live in an area of the world where there's abundant supply for most everything that we need. <clears throat> and so if we desire it, we can usually get it uh, if we have the money to buy it. And yet now all of a sudden, we, we can't. And, and that is uh, challenging for us at times. Uh, I mean, probably things, the small things are not going to you know, irk us greatly. But, but it, is, it is a bit of a challenge. And it points to a greater, a greater challenge in terms of contentment. Which is that it's difficult for us to find contentment when we are in need. Sounds obvious. But let me just show you uh, why it's important that we see this clearly and then, and then see how Paul described himself. Because he was a man who was in need, but didn't see it the way we would probably see it. So I want to read to you Philippians 4 again. Uh, the verses that I just read, but I want to read you the verses on either side. Just to sort of see the context. Uh, Paul is in prison. He's uh, writing to the Philippian church. He's uh, writing to them because they sent him a care package. You have to understand... In Roman prisons, they, it was not like today. It wasn't a correctional facility. There's no food. You were dependent on people from outside the prison to bring you food. There's no standards of hygiene or anything. It was a difficult place to be. So look at how he writes to them. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's saying there, you wanted to send me help, but it, there, it was difficult. They couldn't get a, the care package to him. But notice what he says next. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That part of there in verse 11 is interesting. He just said to them, look, I'm, thank you for sending me the package. Not that, I, not that I'm in need, which is a strange thing to say for someone who's in a Roman prison. It's, it's fascinating to me that that's how he would describe himself. That he's in a place with, without really any comforts at all. I mean, no freedom, no basic comforts, probably barely any water and food. He's dependent upon others. And yet he says to them, look, thanks for sending that, but not that, not that I think that I'm in need. And you're like, how does someone get to a place where they are in that kind of situation? With, with here's, I think, a good way of thinking of it. With his, his natural desires for just the basic comforts of life would be here, and yet his circumstances would be here. That usually is a recipe for discontentment for us. We go to the store, we're expecting something, we don't find it. There's a, there's a minor level of discontentment. Oh, I didn't get what I want in life in general. There's things that we desire, and yet circumstances are down here. That gap is discontentment. Paul is in a situation where there's a big gap for whatever it is that any normal person would want, and yet he does not talk about himself as being in need. He says, look, I've learned to be content with whatever it is that I can get. How is that possible? How does Paul get to a place where he can have that level of peace with circumstances that are so horrible, so obviously leading to discontentment? We're going to jump down to verse 18. He goes on to write to the Philippian church. This is near the end of his letter. And look at the language he uses here. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. That's the care package. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, what he's doing is he's reminding the Philippian church, he's, he's comforting them. He's in prison and he's saying, look, I have everything. I thank you for the package. Epaphroditus brought it to me. I was so blessed by that. But remember that all of your needs will be supplied where? In, in the gospel of Jesus. He, he's helping them to see how it is that he could be content because he knows the gospel. And what the gospel does is it shapes our desires to help us to be content even when there's a discrepancy between the thing that we would normally desire and what we actually have. Because here's, here's how we usually deal with that problem. The world's answer to a discrepancy between what we want and what we have is, well, you just got to get more things. You got to raise your circumstances, which is fair enough, right? If, if there's not enough money, you need to go out and get more money. If you don't have a job that you're content with, you need to go find a better job. If you want a relationship and don't have one, you should go and, and do that. The sort of natural, worldly, I don't mean evil, I just mean the natural kind of response is, well, if my desire is up here and my circumstance is up here, I just got to raise that up. But there's a few problems with that. For one thing, lots of times, uh, you can't make up the difference. Like you don't, you don't have enough resources. It's fine to say that you want more money and go get it, but that's easier said than done a lot of the time. Sometimes there are no other job opportunities that are open. Many times in our lives, we come to the place of saying there's certain things that I want, not luxuries, not yachts, but just some things for our family, and there's a gap there, and, and I don't know how to make up the gap. 
Other times, there are things that are just outside of our control. Like there might be a gap in terms of our, our health. We have a desire for a healthy body, and yet we, we don't have a healthy body. And we don't have the power to bridge the gap. We're doing, we're doing everything we can. We're going to the doctor, we're getting treatment, um, and yet there's still, there's still pain, there's still discomfort. And so we're in a situation where we are forced to deal with the discrepancy. We can't, we can't make up the gap. Other times still, uh, we make up the difference, but it doesn't take long for our desires to increase again. Have you noticed that? Where we're thinking, if we just had this, this I'd, be, I'd be content. I'd be even Stephen, it'd be great. And then we get there and then we don't feel it. And we realize our desires have grown. And we play this game where we're constantly chasing our desires that are growing and growing and growing and we never, we never feel content. There's a flaw in that type of reasoning, which is that it's our circumstances, the only thing that we can, we can adjust, we can move. But what, what the Bible tells us, what Paul is starting to articulate, is that it's possible for us to not just adjust our circumstances, but to adjust our desires. For us to be in such a place where we would, we would lower our desires to be content with what we have. And the way to do that is to see the gospel very, very clearly. Um, we're going to go to 1 Timothy. This is still Paul writing to Timothy, another letter. That's all he does. He writes letters. Um, what I want you to see here is how the humility that he's experienced and the grace he's experienced in the gospel has shifted the way that he sees himself and to see what he thinks he deserves. So here's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He says, I, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though, here, here's what he knows about himself, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, this is a man who can be content in any situation because he knows that he deserves nothing in light of his sin. See, he's so clear about his status in relationship to God on his own, like apart from the grace of God. He's a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. And then he sees the grace of God and it totally transforms his expectations for his life. Um, remember the Puritan that we talked about last week, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs? Uh, he, he, he sort of unpacks this point, this, this dynamic, and he does it uh, by talking about burdens. What he says is, look, for the most part in the world, even, even for Christians, when we have a burden placed upon us, like a circumstantial, something happens, some difficulty, usually what we think is for us to be content again, happy again, we need to remove the burden. Okay, if there's a, Think, think of, so here's the situation. Think of a, of a young man, married, young kids, and he receives a diagnosis that he has a de degenerative eye condition. So the doctor says, look, I'm sorry, but this is, this is going to get worse. You're going to need to get uh, glasses, then thicker glasses, then really thick glasses, then you, you will be legally blind. Think of the burden that's placed upon that man. He leaves the office, and he, if he's not walking with a stoop inside, he's just feeling the weight. Because there's huge burden with that diagnosis. He's thinking to himself, how am I going to keep working? How am I going to provide for my family? How is, how is this going to work? And so because of that burden, 
his prayer life, understandably, would be consumed with praying, Lord, please remove this burden. And that's not a wrong thing to pray. He would be praying in faith, Lord, you, you made my eyes, you made my body. You see to come and, and pray, come to the elder, pray for healing, and to pray for that. And that, that, is, that is good and right. But what Burrow says is this, that can't be our only hope. Because if that's our only hope, what happens if God chooses not to lift that burden? What Burrow says is what you actually need to do is to heap another burden upon yourself in that moment. And it's the burden of your sin. He says you need to remind yourself of who you are apart from God. You need to look at the, the wretchedness of your heart. This is the language of Puritans, right? Look at the wretchedness of your heart. Look at the reality of your lostness and your sin. Remind yourself of not just your past sin. That's what Paul was doing. I was an insolent opponent. But, but Paul also at times talks about the fact that he still struggles with sin. And in the moment, we could be saying to ourselves, look, look, even here, Lord, in the midst of this burden, I see the sin welling up within me. I see bitterness. I see, I see a self, sense of self-pity, of complaining, of frustration. There is still sin, our, our fleshly nature. It, it bubbles up within us draws us away from the Lord. And you might say, okay, that's true, but how is that helpful? Like for a person who's already struggling under the weight of circumstantial burden, why would you heap more burden upon them? Isn't that gonna crush them? Isn't that gonna make them totally desperate? And Burroughs says, no. No, for a person who knows the Lord, when they see the weight of their sin, they will see the glory of the cross all the more. And it will lift them up. You think it will weigh you down, but it's only for, for a fraction of a second, and then you remember the grace, the grace of God that, that has absolved you of all those sins, that has come into your life because, because God pursued you, because Jesus went like a lost sheep and brought you in. You're reminded of all of the, the wonders of the sacrificial love of Christ, and so you're actually, you're actually lifted up. The words of Jesus Throughout the Gospels, this speaking about his love for us will, will wash over you. Like, like these words. Here's Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, there's true contentment in realizing over and over and over again that Jesus offers to carry our sin to the cross that he shoulders the burden. And what that does then is it shapes our expectations for our life. Because think of Paul, he's experienced this, he knows this. And so now, even in jail, he looks around and all he can think is, I'm so blessed by God. I'm, I'm so, I've experienced the wonder of God's grace even now, even in this dark dungeon. I know I have hope in Christ. I, I know that Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father praying for me. I know that he's for me. I know that he's promised to work things out for my good. He, all of the blessings, the grace, the mercy is just constantly flowing into his mind, into his heart. And so when he looks around, instead of having the need to bring the circumstances up to be content, Paul can say, you know what? I'm so satisfied with what I have. I deserve none of this. And yet I have everything in Christ. It's the gospel that, that recalibrates, shapes our desires so that we can actually be at peace with whatever it is that God has, has given us. That's the first thing. Second, second way, second thing we need to learn in terms of growing in contentment is that adversity brings opportunity. 
Adversity brings opportunity. Uh, <clears throat> when adversity enters our lives, kind of like the idea of a burden, our immediate response is just, well, I gotta get rid of that. If I'm gonna be happy again, I need to get through this challenging time, I need to fix it, I need to get rid of it. That's usually how we respond. I remember uh, when I was applying to uh, PDP, teacher training at SFU, I just finished my undergrad. I was very clear, I was gonna be a teacher. Uh, that's what I thought I would do with my life. I loved teaching, loved English. I thought, you know what the world needs more of? English teachers, right? So uh, I applied and was very excited. Don and I were dating, we're thinking about marriage, and so I was like, this is the next step. If I can just, I need to get trained, I can get working, we can get married. So I was totally devastated when I got the letter saying I was not accepted to SFU, to PDP, or even to UBC, or wherever it was. And I was just, oh, I was, I remember just being like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I was, I was up frustrated, upset. I remember calling Dawn on the phone and saying, I, I don't get it, I didn't get in. To make matters worse, her friend, who also applied, got in. <laughs> and we were supposed to go over to her friend's house. And I was like, I'm not going over there. Why would I go over there? She's just going to talk about how great a teacher she is. And I didn't get in. I was going to feel horrible. I was, I was not a content man. I'll tell you that. I did not respond well. Now, uh, the world thinks, and I was thinking at that moment, look, the, the problem here is, that I, is this adversity, is this thing. If this would be removed, then all would be well. Then I would be happy. Then I would be content. That tends to be how uh, the world prays. Christians are the world prays. That's how the world thinks, right? It's got to fix this thing. The Christian spin on that is, um, Lord, this thing needs to get fixed. You're in charge. I have faith in you. So I'm going to pray to you that you would fix this thing. And because this is a good plan, you're going you're to fix it. And so we think that we're people of faith. But in a sense, really, we're just kind of asking God to do the thing that we think should happen, which is a challenge because it, it doesn't, doesn't always happen. Uh, there's a deeper level to, to contentment in these kinds of situations. Um, and that is to pray and ask God to help you to see what he might be doing in you in that situation. See, see the shift. It's not just... Lord, for me to be content, I, I need to get rid of this thing. But the mature Christian looks at the whole situation and says, I wonder how God might use this for my good. Like, I wonder what spiritual blessings might come into my life because of this adversity. You see this really clearly in, in the, the heroes of faith from the Bible. You can think about it this way. There you won't find a godly person in the Bible who went into a season of affliction and then came out the other side and wasn't changed for the better. Like it was always good in their lives. In fact, it was always transformative in their lives. Think about Joseph. Think about Daniel. Think about Job. These are men who went through real trials, real adversity, and yet because of that season of of trial, they, they grew in significant, amazing ways. I want to show you one quote from Job. Job, er, everything horrible happened to Job, everything taken away from him, his health, his wealth, his family. But look at what he says in Job 42, verses 5 and 6. There's a little snippet. He's, he's praying with the Lord, or talking with the Lord. He says to God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see the contrast he's making there, the progression. He says, I had heard of you like before, 
Like before this trial, I knew you. He was a person of faith. He didn't respond by cursing God. He didn't, you know, abandon faith. He, he was faithful in a sense. He knew God, but what he's saying is, but now I see you. It doesn't mean he, he saw God with his eyes. What it means is my depth of knowledge of who you are has increased. Because of this trial, I've, I've drawn closer to you. But not only that, he says, I dis, I dis, therefore I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Job also came to know himself more. Think about it this way. If you're a person of faith and someone came to you and said, okay, look, there's gonna be this thing and after it, you are gonna know Jesus more. Like you're gonna have a depth of intimacy with Christ that you, you can't even dream of now and you're gonna know yourself more. Are you, are you interested in that? All of us would say, well, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'd say, yeah. That's, that's the desire of my heart. I want to know Jesus more. I want to grow in my understanding of who he is, my intimacy with him, my, my knowledge of him, my experience with him. And, and I, I see more clearly. The older I get, I see that I, I don't really know myself the way that I think I do. I need the word. I need the spirit. Whatever this is, I, I want to know myself more. Affliction does this the best for us. Hard times do both of those things the best. Because in those difficult times, God is able to, to pummel us in a gracious way, in a helpful way, and we see our need for God in a way that we didn't before. And it's in keeping with how God just says he's going to work in humanity. Think of those guys again like, like Joseph. I mean, he, by the end of his trials, when he's talking to his brothers, when he famously says to them, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, just such a great, amazing declaration of the character of God. He only knows that because he went through it, because he was left for dead, because he was in prisons and dungeons, because everyone had abandoned him, but God never did. And then he saw the blessing in it, and he came to the end of it and said, look, I, I see how God works better now. I understand him better. I'm not angry at you, because I see how God works. And he's doing the same thing for us. We have the same promises. Here's Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, it's, it's more specific now, this side of the cross. It says that the same thing as, as what Joseph understood. Look, God is going to work all things out for good. All the evil in the world, no match for the Lord. He's going to work it out for good. But then it adds another dimension, which means for you, Christian, you're going to be more like Jesus. You're going to know him more. You're going to be shaped, be conformed to his image. This is, this is where we find contentment. But, but here's the thing we need to understand with this. It's one thing for us to have peace about the difficult circumstances in our lives. Like for me, when I got that letter, I was, I was frustrated, I was ornery, I was upset for a little while. I can't remember how long, probably a week. But eventually I got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, I, I believe you're in charge. You close this door. I'm just, I'm gonna be at peace with waiting for the next entry opportunity. And, and I had contentment again. That, that's usually how we respond if you're a person of faith. Something difficult happens and then there's a lag time, right? To the point where you actually... Okay, I'll, su I'll submit to it. Um, that's a good thing. That's a mark of, of faith. Uh, if you're still bitter after years and years and years and years, then that, that's telling you something about, 
about your own understanding of God and your own submissiveness to the Lord, usually it takes us a little, a little while. Uh, the problem, though, is in that gap, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for sin. We, we respond poorly. Uh, we get angry, for one thing. Uh, we get hard-hearted towards the Lord. Uh, very often, the people in our lives experience our frustration and our anger, right? Kids will say to each other, dad's in a mood. Mom's, mom's upset. Something people know you'll be sharp towards the people in your life. Sometimes we'll try to compensate for our disappointment by eating too much or drinking too much or buying too much. There's all manner of sin. Our idolatry will be exposed. There's all, all these things that, that hopefully by the grace of God, we will see it for what it is. Like, like the Lord won't let us go off on our own. He'll, he'll bring us back, right? He'll say, look, look at how you're responding. We'll feel horrible. We'll repent. We'll experience the grace of God again. That, that's all a good thing. But how much better is it if instead of, of a lag time between something difficult and our peace with it, it happens in the moment? How much better is it if we can in real time be content with adversity because in the moment, we see it for what it is. It's an opportunity for us to receive from God. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faith and be shaped by God to be more and more like Jesus. Let me ask you this. When difficult things happen, how do you respond to them? Like, like in the moment. Is there any level at which you stop and think to yourself, man, I wonder what good God is going to do from this? Is there any level at which you, you stop and say to yourself, this is not what I wanted, but, but I got to believe that God is going to use this for my good. Because the wonder of having contentment in the moment is that you're right away able to have a soft heart, a, a, a receiving disposition, that you don't just see this as an obstacle to the good that God has for you, you see it as the good that God has for you. That this is a good thing, even though it's a hard thing even though it might be a heartbreaking thing. This is a challenge. This is why Paul says, I had to learn this. Because this doesn't happen immediately. This happens over years and years of, of practice, of experience. And, and you might be wondering, well, how do I get to that place where I can actually, in the moment, just receive from the Lord, whatever it may be? Here's a couple of, I think, practical, helpful suggestions. Number one, I think you should, I think we all should study our past responses. <clears throat> like look back and just see how have I responded to difficult things and, and see is there a trajectory? Is that lag time between something bad happening and me being at peace with it? Is it, is it shrinking? Hopefully. Is it growing? Is it the same? Am I still bitter about things that happened years and years ago? Is there work that I need to do in terms of understanding this from God's point of view? It's helpful to see where your heart is because then you can pray for yourself better, ask for prayer better. Secondly, you need to you need to seek to know Jesus more. I always see these ads that come up on Instagram, masterclass. You know, they're all these masterful people who are teaching us how to do things. Uh, if you were to look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it is a masterclass of contentment. Not just in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's saying, Lord, not, not my will, but yours be done. He's articulating that. But the whole time, he's disappointed. Or he, there's disappointed situations, conflict, People are doing things that he told them not to do. People are confronting him, attacking him. He's always at peace. The more that we can see how he responded 
and seek to emulate him by the power of God, the more content we will be. And, and we, need to, we need to actually see the difficulties in our lives as opportunities for contentment. That, that's the shift. Instead of seeing it as an obstacle, we see it as an opportunity to know God more. That's the second thing. Thirdly, thirdly is this. For us to be content, we need to remember that God is the source. He is the source of everything that we need. This is kind of coming back full circle to the nature of contentment, but I, I want to kind of approach it from a practical point of view in terms of what this actually looks like. See, I think the way that the world operates, just human beings, say, is that we think of our lives, um, we think of the things that we need in our lives. Uh, you can picture it like this. Think of like a, a garden hose, like a faucet and a, and a hose, and then a bucket. So we're the bucket. The, the things flowing into our life is like the water level. The, the fuller our bucket is, the more content we feel. Uh, whatever it may be, money, uh, circumstances, relationships, the challenge of our life, of course, is that the flow of water is not constant. And, and there happens to be holes in the bottom of our bucket. So things are always, we're never just content with what we had yesterday. Uh, we always kind of want more. And yet the challenge is that, that the flow seems to stop. And so a lot of our lives is spent trying to unkink the hose, trying to go to the faucet, open it up more. And, and as a Christian... Again, we add the layer of faith and we say, uh, Lord, could you please uh, keep the flow going? Uh, Lord, there are things that I need. I know you're in charge. So would you open up the faucet? You're in control. That's my faith. I don't, I don't think that the world itself is just uh, sort of happenstance. I know that you're in control, so I'm going to pray. Lord, please, there are things that I need. Would you, would, you, would you help to keep the flow into my life so that I could be content? But the mature Christian remembers that all of these things that we are looking to, uh, they are not the source. They are, at best, uh, like they're the hose. They're the conduit. All of the blessings of God come through them. Not all of them, but they can. The material blessings of God are a way for him to demonstrate his love for us. And so it's, it's good and right for us to pray, Lord, please, would you, would you provide a job for me? Would you provide work for me? Would you provide a relationship for me? But the challenge is if we, if we are looking to those things, if our contentment is still tied to those things, then, then we will always struggle with contentment because they are not the source and because the flow into our lives is not, is not constant. Think about it in terms of relationship. Uh, most human beings yearn for a sense of, of love and affirmation and connection with human relationship, which means that in our lives, once we get to a certain age, we're thinking that there's hopefully someone that we can date, hopefully someone we can marry, and this is a good thing. God says, yeah, you, you, should, be, you should be looking for these things. You should be uh, trying to find someone that you can connect with. This is one of the blessings, one of the things I've placed in this world that will be sort of immediate blessing. It's a good thing. But we know that the hose, the relationship hose is often stopped up. Not just for those of us who are struggling to find someone to marry, but even for those of us who are married. That this thing that is supposed to be a blessing in our life, that, that it's not always flowing, it's not always there. What I want us to see, what, what the Lord has for us in Philippians, is the realization or reminder that the good things in our lives are not the thing itself. And that even something as good as like love, relational love, from the people in our lives cannot be the ultimate source of our contentment because we're going to be frustrated. 
So let's look at Philippians 4 again. We're actually going to go earlier than the text we saw before. And I want you to see um, how Paul describes, this is like an exhortation to joy and to contentment and peace. And uh, look at how he, he writes this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's a good thing that we pray to God for the things we need. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But now look at verse 9. Just, just jump down a little bit. He says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will will be with you. The thing that I noticed there is that Paul doesn't just promise, he doesn't just say what you need is the peace of God. He says you need the God of peace. He says it's not enough just that you have the peace that God supplies or the joy that God supplies or the grace or the contentment or the mercy. It's not that. You need to have God. If you don't have him, then the rest will always disappoint. Let me just tell you one of the times I realized this in my life was in the context of marriage. Uh, Don and I have been married for a little while. I can't remember. There's times where it was difficult for us to connect, where, where I was frustrated because I would be in prayer saying, Lord, th- this is a good thing. We're, we both love you. We both love each other, but we're just not connecting. We're not experiencing the love that we say we have for each other. And it would go on for a while. And I'd be praying, and, and Don would be praying, and it just, things were not working. And I remember at a certain point, just being on my knees early in the morning, and, and I remember thinking, hearing maybe from the Lord, am I not enough for you, was what I heard. Meaning, I got the sense that Jesus was saying, like, are, are you only going to be happy if you experience this kind of love in your marriage? Am I not enough? And it was a convicting moment for me because it, it wasn't enough. I, I, didn't, I didn't grasp the reality of what it means that I have everything that I need in Christ. Once I came to that place of seeing that I genuinely have everything that I need in Christ, it opened the doors to greater blessings for a couple reasons. Number one, I could actually be content in a situation where things weren't working out well relationally, circumstantially, whatever it may be. And also, I stopped putting so much pressure on the things in my life that I was looking to for contentment. It's crushing for a husband to look to a wife to supply all of the love that they need and vice versa. It's impossible to look to your wealth or your circumstances, your position, to, to have the affirmation that you need. We need to find that in the source of all those things, who is God himself. Once that happens... And we have a genuine contentment that cannot be shaken. We have peace in every situation. And we can interact with the things in our life with with a greater peace, with a greater joy, with a greater glory for God. See, the greatest thing that can happen in our lives is for us to realize that everything is from the Lord. Which, by the way, is why God often allows those hoses into our lives to be stopped up. It's his love for us. He doesn't want us to go through our lives being dependent upon these circumstantial things for contentment and for peace. 
And the best way for us to realize the greater joy and love and whatever it is we have in him is is for him to cut off the flow and for us to feel that emptiness and in faith be able to respond and say, no, I, I still have everything I need in Christ. This is the challenge of contentment. That, that it, takes, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes discipline, it takes a humility of heart. But praise God that that's his promise to us. Praise God that he's promised, I'm gonna make you more and more like Jesus. He who was most content, even though he was most afflicted. I'm gonna pray that that would be true for us uh, now as we close. Lord Jesus, I do, I do pray for us. I pray that you would help each of us here. Lord, that wherever we are, perhaps in a season of, of abundance, Lord, and praise God for it, or perhaps in a season we feel very low, I pray that whatever the, the situation may be, that, that we would have a clarity of heart and a clarity of mind to see that you are actually all that we need. And so I pray, please, for the ministry of your spirit to humble us where we need to be humbled, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Help us, Lord, not to respond to difficulties in the way the world does, just to seek that the only answer is to get rid of them, that the only hope we have is is to have everything that we, we think we need. I pray instead, Lord, that we would recognize that we have everything that we don't deserve, that it's all grace, it's all mercy, that the gospel makes so clear that in our sin, we are deserving of nothing, and yet you give us everything. I pray, please, Lord, that, that as we grow in our understanding of you, that you would, you would shape our desires, you would soften our heart, Lord, that we would be a people of contentment so that we might give you glory, so that we might give you praise, and that others would, would look to us and see the light of the gospel. And so I do pray, Lord, for anyone here, anyone who's listening, who doesn't have faith, I pray you would move in their hearts to help them to see not just, not just the glories of what you provide, but the depth of their own sin and how you respond to that sin, not with, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with grace and mercy and love. And Lord, I pray that would be transformative, that would be life-changing, that we would see that our buckets are filled by your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.